Welcome back everyone to today's episode of Frosty Thoughts. So, starting uh, yesterday, my family kind of started a Star Wars week where um, we're going through and kind of watching all the Star Wars uh, live action films and I figured, hey, kind of while I'm watching these films, I haven't reviewed them yet, so might as well. Um, so we'll be going in chronological order. For those of you who don't know what that means, that means in the order of the storyline, meaning we'll be starting with 1999's Phantom Menace. So that's what I'll be reviewing uh, today, or whenever you're watching this. So a little background on The Phantom Menace and my kind of experience with it. Uh, like I said, released in 1999, written and directed by George Lucas, uh, the writer and director of the original trilogy as well that came out during the 70s and 80s. And there was kind of a lot of, uh, I don't necessarily like the word hype, but it works well in this context. There was kind of a lot of hype, a lot of anticipation for this film. It was a prequel, um, the origin story, if you will, for a lot of the characters that people knew in the original trilogy growing up. I wasn't one of those people. I actually more or less grew up with the prequels. Um, and so these are movies I'm very familiar with and have a connection with. <clears throat> And that doesn't mean my nostalgia rose-tinted glasses will get in the way. Uh, it just means that my viewpoint on these films is not affected by growing up with the original trilogy. And uh, Phantom Menace also stars uh, Jake Lloyd, Liam Neeson, Natalie Portman, Ewan McGregor, and Ahmed Best. And... Rewatching this and kind of having seen all the Star Wars films now, none of the trilogies fit with each other. They all feel like their own thing, and I'd even go as far as to say that the newest trilogy with episodes 7 to 9 uh, doesn't feel even like a trilogy, but we'll get to that one later. And I think that's kind of what what kind of pushes a lot of people away from the uh, the prequels and more specifically The Phantom Menace is that people went into the theater expecting another film like the original trilogy. And I'm not saying necessarily in quality, but kind of in the tone and pacing. It definitely had the setting and characters, um, but not even really the story. When you kind of break down the story of it, uh, it's very mundane. I'll give you just kind of a basic plot synopsis. So, the Galactic Republic is kind of, they are kind of burdening down on their taxations of uh, the companies that they govern over. And one of these companies, the Galactic Trade Federation, decides we've kind of had enough of that. Um, and they kind of create a blockade around a planet called Naboo and start to invade it, which gets the attention of the Galactic Senate of the Republic, who send two Jedi ambassadors to investigate and try to negotiate. All of what I just described is what 
a lot of dri what drives people away. In the original one, although there was depth and some complexity to the politics of its world, it was very simple. You, all you needed was a surface level understanding, and it was just kind of that. You could go deeper, but it was always an optional experience. With this, we are immediately thrust into taxations, which is, I'm sure, a riveting plotline for everybody watching. And another big complaint, so let's just kind of get to it now, were the acting and the characters. And I will say, in because this film does have some kind of veteran experienced actors, you had Liam Neeson, Natalie Portman, Ewan McGregor, Samuel Jackson, these are well-respected actors who their, their career definitely didn't take a fall from this. Um, and it's unfortunately they don't really act well everyone is very cold everyone's very stone-faced you very rarely feel emotion i felt emotion in one scene but we can get to that later um you and mcgregor and i'm sure you've heard this a lot if you've listened to what people enjoy from the prequels you and mcgregor even kind of in this youngest obi-wan kenobi uh, incarnation that we see um he definitely has the best performance, and even though he doesn't have many lines in this, he's given more lines as the prequels go on, because I think Lucas realized that, wow, this guy is actually a really good actor and just a great embodiment of the young Obi-Wan that I want to portray. So, like I, um, but even, even then, many of them aren't great, and I think what it can kind of be if we can dial it in on something, it's the fact that the majority of the sets and what they're kind of being filmed in, they're just being filmed over blue screens and green screens. And when you're just constantly filming over a piece of paper, you can't get the connection. Like if you were using a practical set, which they used a lot of in the original trilogy, you have a connection to that place. You're not just acting you are now acting here let me rephrase that you're not just acting in front of a piece of paper now you're acting in an actual set you can be more connected to the character because you're more connected to the world when you can't even see the world that you're in how do you know what to act how do you know what to convey with your emotion and there's not a lot of emotion in this film so it is unfortunate. I don't blame any of the actors except one, and that is Jake Lloyd. And he plays, uh, I'll, I'll just call him Kid Anakin Skywalker when he's supposed to be nine or 12. I forget the exact age. He is god awful. I tried to think maybe there's like a good line. No. Every single one of his lines is just terrible. I, I found myself kind of chuckling, and it wasn't even—it wasn't even supposed to be funny. I, I never laughed during any of his jokes. I—I I was always laughing when he wasn't making a joke, though, because his lines were just terrible. Uh, and just not only were his lines bad, but he has such a bad performance subtlety 
is a foreign language to this child, and you can see it. It is just incredibly bad, and everything this character does is incredibly painful. I mean, I was almost thinking about this, and I know a lot of people will disagree with me. I almost wish they got Hayden Christensen, because he would have been closer to the right age. And I think that maybe, like, that would kind of help us form a better connection with the character of Anakin if they were consistent with, kind of, the actor. Because after this film, Jake Lloyd never returns. It's Hayden Christensen as Anakin. And as much as he is made fun of, I will say Hayden Christensen is a much better Anakin uh, than Jake Lloyd. Because when you look at this kid, you don't see the pain or the suffering that led to the epic villain as Vader. You see the jingle all the way kid, and I hate that. While we're on the subject of annoying characters, let's get to uh, Jar Jar. Um, now, unlike Anakin, Lucas was, I feel, smarter with Jar Jar and kind of limited his role in all the other films until he, he had no lines, I think, in Revenge of the Sith. He might have had a couple, but they weren't many. Um, and I can understand why people don't like him. I frankly don't like him either. If you've ever kind of had a family reunion, you always have that one cousin or nephew or niece who's really young. And they might be at that kind of stage in their life where they announce everything that's happening or everything that they're thinking. And they do it loudly to make sure that you hear. Jar Jar Binks is that three-year-old cousin at a family reunion. And he is annoying. He was... He never wasn't annoying. Uh, he didn't have a purpose in the film I, either. I... I know C-3PO wasn't in, in this much, but at least his comic, his comedy came from him being constantly serious, full of reason and logistics, and that would kind of play against um, like Han Solo's kind of head-first attitude or Luke's kind of more emotional view on things. But like I said, since none of the actors can convey emotion really, you don't get that kind of uh, counterintuitive comedy that we saw in the original. Uh, moving away from the characters, just kind of a main world-building thing. A sequel is such a delicate thing. You can either make or break the series. Um, a good sequel should expand on the world, the characters, and or just kind of the lore of what was established in your first film or films. And you can definitely see Luke is trying to do that. He's trying to give you everything you need to know about the Republic and the Jedi Order. Um, but he's giving you too much. Kind of like what, what I said, the kind of minutia and economics of the original trilogy and its world, even though it had the same setting, you could take it at surface level, which made it kind of more appealing to people. Um, and so it's it's just, it's too much. 
and it's too fast to all be taken in at once. So let's uh, kind of get into some things that I kind of liked and I kind of didn't. Um, what I did notice, and I was watching this off of Disney Plus, uh, because that's it's one of the best ways to kind of watch Disney films, is the effects, um, if they had kind of come out any later than they did, I think they would have been met with criticism, but I could see sitting down in a theater in 1999 and thinking, wow, that looks really cool, and even still today there are some shots like some shots of Naboo which I love the uh, kind of Italian villa aesthetic of it um, some shots look great uh, but and some don't uh, the, the lightsabers weirdly haven't aged well they almost kind of look pale um, but I guess they were kind of they I'm guessing they kind of most likely recycled some of their computer assets they had from the original trilogy. Uh, one other thing, uh, before one other kind of good and bad thing we get before we get into the things I actually liked. Um, this film has four different climaxes at the very end. You have Anakin is in a, a Naboo starfighter trying to blow up a Trade Federation ship. You have uh, Padme kind of leading her raid on the castle, and uh, you have. Jar Jar and his other species of the Gungans, uh, kind of leading a battle against the droid army, and you have Qui-Gon Jinn and uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi fighting uh, Darth Maul in the iconic Duel of the Fates scene. Now, originally, I really liked this. I thought, this is really cool. We've got so many cool kind of big action scenes going on. But re-watching it, I thought to myself, I feel like they would be cooler if we could just maybe focus on half of them or one of them. That way you can add more cool stuff. So you can really take that either way. You can kind of give the reason, well, it's they constantly kind of keep you on the edge of your seat with constant action by switching it up with the four climaxes. Or you can say they should have focused on one or two to kind of emphasize the points that those were trying to make. Finally, let's get to the things I liked. Um, there's only really uh, a, a couple. Um, so, like I said before, the Duel of Fate scene is amazing. So this is the scene where uh, Darth Maul takes on Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan Kenobi. And I would have loved to see a kind of crowd reaction when uh, Darth Maul emits his second blade, showing he has a double-sided lightsaber. To this day, it is still such a cool thing, because I kind of like that. I could, I went, yeah, I went, yeah, Lucas, this is what Star Wars needs to evolve into. Like, kind of play around with people's expectations. If you think back to the kind of lightsaber fights of the original trilogy, Although sometimes they get intense, kind of choreography, kind of the choreography of them wasn't terribly impressive, and I know that can sound counterintuitive because a lot of this film is CGI and they most likely didn't have to move that much, but this film just or this uh, the duel of the fate scene, the music too, John Williams provided an excellent 
intense epic score for the lightsaber fight um it just kind of upgrades the idea of what a lightsaber fight can be and i think that's really good i think that's what lucas um like you can see his intention for the new star wars actually shining through in this one scene and i love that um and the other thing i wanted to point out kind of my last note is so spoiler alert um kind of click off of the video if you don't want it to be spoiled uh after uh qui-gon's death like i was saying before that was the one emotional moment where i kind of felt like yeah that, that was pretty sad not so much for qui-gon himself he was an okay character um but it was mostly for Ewan McGregor's, or sorry, Obi-Wan Kenobi's uh, reaction towards it. Because I think it's neat when we can see how these characters grow. Um, because he's one of the characters that we know. He's one of the characters from the original trilogy that we know. And so we actually kind of care about him. Uh, because we have kind of previous knowledge and emotions built up towards him. So I did think that that was a good scene. So, overall, do I think that Phantom Menace deserves all the hate it uh, got? No. Do I think that it still deserves the hate that it still gets? Yes. I'd say the hate for it has died down as the years have passed and kind of the hype died down for it. Um, people were expecting the original trilogy again, and the prequels are not that. So, I give this movie a 5 out of 10 for mediocre. It's not good. It's not bad. It was a movie. Thanks for tuning in, as always, and uh, hope you enjoyed the episode.